1: Hello and welcome to the Rover Report podcast in association with Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. My name is Rich Spate, and I'm joined down the line this evening by Chris Wynn from Sheffield.
0: You it know Rich? Good to be back. Hi, right, yeah, yeah. Not too
1: well. I am disappointed, but you know, I'm not in pain from the weekend <laughs> uh, from Sunday. You know, we did we did I was, well. I was yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was just in pain physically yesterday. I mean, the hangover. I'm so close to forty that hangovers can now last. 24 hours, and we're also joined from the northeast uh, by Gav Henderson, our editor. How are you this evening, Gav?
2: I'm good, mate. I'm very good. Well, I'm on the back end of COVID, so I'm recovering and I yeah. might cough a bit, but uh,
1: yeah, that's what I was wondering about. Are, are, are you going to be like you know, collapsing in the corner halfway through? No, due to virus? I might get out
2: of breath by talking, like, I haven't done a lot of talking this week to, to try and recover. But no, I'm, I'm all right otherwise.
1: Well, hopefully you won't be wheezing away uh, as, we're, <laughs> as we're banging on. This Depends evening, how good this so mic is, where...
2: really, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely. It, it picks up everything. We've
2: got a good
1: amount to talk about. I haven't got a set agenda, but obviously we've all been distracted, quite happily distracted by the Euros for the last uh, month and a bit. Chris, what was your take on... I'm going to go with the tournament overall, because, you know, we've talked endlessly about England, but what about the tournament overall? Was it a, a good break from kind of league one dross
0: football it was it was really weird not to see people hump at 40 yards (laughs) it was really like i was watching it i was when i even in the final italy england uh as for i was watching it with my little and and i was i was just telling them to watch how they passed it because i mean i I got Mm. them to watch sutherland last season poor lad you know i mean form of child cruelty, but. he just got bored of some of them matches, and you could see his eyes popping out of his head for the for the for the game like between two good sides because England Italy just popping it about one touch pass one touch pass completely different game in it.
1: It is unbelievably good tournament. <laughs> I thought like there's been some crap tournaments recently, but that was something else. Did you did you enjoy it, Gav?
2: Oh yeah, unreal. Like like you say, there was just so many good moments, good games, and for once it was nice to support a team that can actually carry through in a game like and win it mm. and, and look decent doing it, um, which I'm not used to. And also quite nice to support the same team as me mag mates again, which is the one thing that comes mm. around every time there's a tournament is we all get together and support the same team. So uh, it's not brilliant. I think Eng- England, wow. to be honest, were just were fantastic throughout and I don't think I'm meant to support a team that wins anything substantial because... <laughs> Everything was lined up for for, for England uh, to win the, the, the tournament, and we still managed to knock it up so uh, but i don't feel too disheartened actually because I think we did as much as we could really. It was you know the best team won on the day with Italy I think yeah, I think
1: yeah. that's fair enough. It's the quality of football all the way through the tournament from almost from start to finish was out of this world. I enjoyed the first game as much as I did the last game, or probably more than I did the last game because I didn't care. It won the first
0: game.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was just it was wonderful. It was wonderful to see the, the the variation of tactics and the different approaches. And as a lot of people have said, it was great to see teams winning out over individuals. Like proper teams who had good tactics, good togetherness, good spirit were the teams that went far. Uh, as well as the teams that had home advantage as well as many of my uh, my neighbors around here in in Wales have have been uh, making me very aware of the, the thousands of miles that their team had to, uh, to had to track uh, over to Baku twice I think there and back but anyway it it was a a fantastic summer of fun and proper good football but unfortunately, we're going to have to talk about uh, a League One side that's struggled to uh, to to make much progress over the last few years in Sunderland. So, hmm. I mean, we've got, we're have got we into pre-season. They've been about, what, two weeks now?
2: Three, isn't it? Three weeks, I think. Mm.
1: Two or three weeks. And, I mean, there've been some really big things hanging over from last season that have been sorted, which is uh, Lugo9's contract and Ed McGeady's contract being sorted out. They're two huge players for Sunderland I think and, and two good uh, contracts to get over the line we've still got still got Denver Humes contract outstanding there's no news on that um Chris would you be disappointed to see Denver depart
0: for passages new yeah I would I would I think it's a big one I think um I mean obviously it doesn't take a genius to to look at the squad and know that when he kind of bodies and especially at the back. But uh I mean when when he's actually taken to the pitch he's shown himself to be uh like a top end League one player. Um he's he's possibly got the potential to to move up into into the championship if if, if we get there with us or, or with someone else and I guess that's what the delay is that um he's maybe waiting for an offer like that to come in. Uh, I was reading early this afternoon and I think um the uh the latest was Lee Johnson saying he was he was hopeful he was going to sign. Um, but that was before Luke nine signed on the dotted right. line, and that was the last kind of update I, I could actually find for for, for Denver Hume. So it's really gone quiet for a good week and a half, ten days or something like that. So the only the only slight question mark anybody's got, which which might kind of scupper his if he is looking for a move to the championship, is really. I mean, he's only played or he's only been in the squad as a as a real kind of first team player for two two seasons. Um, and he hasn't he hasn't really played a full season yet. I mean, you could argue maybe the one that got abandoned was pretty much a full season because it had two months left. But uh, last season, he had that hamstring injury. So he hasn't proven himself to play a full season yet. So I'd be surprised if, if championship clubs take a punt on him and uh, he, he doesn't sign for us.
1: Would you be surprised as well, Gav? Because, I mean, I've got this thing that you might have looked at someone like George Honeyman, who's come through, a couple of years older, probably a good friend and a, a mentor to someone like Denver Hume and how his career has progressed since leaving as, 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 you know, upsetting as it was for everyone, especially Rupert Report with, uh, with Honeyman leaving, he, 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 you know, it's the right, being the right choice for his career, hasn't it?
2: Yeah. I, I just think that with Denver Hume, when he signed his last contract, he was still a kid and either been being paid like a kid, he won't have been, given a a massive bump a contract i doubt he was even paid a salary in line with you know traditional league 1 wages and that's got to be a big thing as well because now he's a he's an established first team player and is he asking for money that the club aren't prepared to pay i don't know it could be that that's the sticking point with him the other the other thing i was thinking was his injury record like chris alluded to was not great i mean how many times did he did he suffer with the hamstring injury last season that then puts a bit more power in the club's hand, I think, and, and, and maybe makes him less of a an appealing product, really, to championship clubs because they're going to be looking at him and thinking, well, OK, he's been Sunderland's first choice left-back for the last two years, but he, he can't stay fit. Is he worth taking a gamble on? Probably not for a championship club. I think I think for a club like us, yes, it, it, it'd be great to get him back. So I think that's probably where where the issue lies with Denver. Hume. is he is, the, is he got enough power to command a decent salary at this level? And I would probably say at the minute no, he's actually got to prove himself a little bit more. So I to be honest, I see it happening, and I see it happening soon. I said this with Luke 09 when when he hadn't signed up that for a player who's quite committed to their craft. It must be upsetting to watch your your teammates playing and training, and mm-hmm. you're sat at home doing nothing. And at some point that, you know, they're gonna pull the trigger, they're gonna get itchy fingers. And um how how much longer can Hume really afford to wait? Is he is he gonna wait, you know, for a championship offer to come around? By which point, you know, it could be four or five weeks after preseason started. I mean we're already three weeks in and he hasn't he hasn't he hasn't signed anywhere, so um I've got a feeling we'll have a resolution on that one sooner rather than later because for the player himself, he needs to be playing, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, I, d- I think I d- I agree that he d- he still has something to prove. He definitely has something to prove. I know he's not, you know, he hasn't convinced all Sunderland fans that he's really, you know, going to be good enough for us long term in in the first team. So yeah, it must be a uh, task to to convince other managers as well across um, the different divisions.
0: Seeing that quickly, Rich. I mean, I know I know a, probably a, a cardboard cutout would have had the same effect, but he did make a difference when he came back in and replaced. McFadden, he did kind of make a difference at left back. He's been
1: linked with uh, several Championship clubs. Um, yeah, yeah, Fadson. exactly. But, nice but exactly, but
0: unbelievable. When Hume came back in, it, it was like a breath of fresh air on that left hand side.
2: Oh yeah. Can I just mention as well? Since we're on the subject of shit players getting linked with better moves, how how did Remy Matthews get a move Remy to Matthews. Palace today? What on <laughs> yeah, earth is bit... going on? Like I, I it's thought just it was to make take... their
0: quarter, though, isn't it?
2: Well, Jason Steele went to Brighton a couple of years ago, didn't he? And mm. that was something. But I mean. Palace Jesus Christ have they watched them I know I know they, these third choice keepers they don't get any other first team really and that's all it is but I mean he's got to be the one the worst keepers we've ever had
1: maybe he isn't an exceptional kind of coach in the background who knows you know maybe he's done his badges and he's he's great with the youngsters or maybe he knows something about Patrick Vieira's uh, private life that uh, <laughs> That he wants to keep in secret.
0: Yeah, I was reading though that they're like goalkeepers like that are like gold dust though, they? and they're like English keepers who who stays get paid to be third choice because it makes up the quarters of uh, like home based players, doesn't it in the squad? Yeah, good I
1: point. I, I think I I think I'd sit about on a few few tens of grand a week playing reserve
0: team games. Steve and Harper springs to mind.
2: Yeah. That, do you reckon he's getting a weird weird rise out of it or not? Oh, oh yeah. definitely,
0: definitely. I read somewhere about um uh, Steve Harper at Newcastle. He was on massive wages because they told him he'd sit on the bench under Share Given. So they actually gave him a massive contract to say, well, you know, we're paying you extra to sit on the bench. He just he just <laughs> went off to uni, didn't he? I
2: should have I been a goalkeeper. I should have been a goalkeeper. Should <laughs> <laughs> me an and awesome do note and get paid for it lovely.
1: Well, I mean, that's also come up in uh, conversation. Around Sunderland Football Club uh, recently, the, uh, the the prospect of players sitting on their asses and doing now because <laughs> we had um, Liam Bridcutt chirping in on a podcast uh, a couple of days ago, getting Sunderland's backs up by saying that we're we're destroying our own club by our negativity uh, towards the club, which uh, I, I don't see how that would happen. He pulled out the erroneous stat that Sunderland were better last season at home. Than they have been in the previous League One campaigns, which is just not true uh, yeah. because there were no fans there. And he, But he did make a couple of points that I thought were quite valid around the the previous drinking culture in the club, which I think is a, yeah, is a big Yeah, but it was, thing. it
2: was weird though, Rich, because he did, yeah, he made a good point about that, but then he also slagged Sunderland fans off for for, for not giving those players the time of day and booing them. And so and I'm thinking, well, yeah. you, you, you know, on one hand, you're saying, the professionalism was terrible, but then you're also slagging the fans off for not supporting those same players. I think you're right. I I, I read it quite carefully. I didn't listen to the podcast, but I read the, the transcript that we put out. And there is a little bit of truth in some of what he said. And, I, you know, I'll, I'll leave, let, leave people to read it themselves. Some things he says will hurt people. But, I mean, the overarching sort of lies about, you know, booing the team off when we were nil nil against Man City, that just didn't happen. mm Saying that the home record last season was better without fans when it was the actual opposite, you know, just clueless. Like I think, I think somebody in whoever was interviewing him clearly caught him on a good day and just probably wasn't expecting Sunderland fans to pick that up. And uh, we're a bunch of nerds who listen to everything, so one of us did, <laughs> and that was, you know, the rest was history.
1: Absolutely. What's your perspective on on this, Chris? Are you uh, do, do you have any sympathy with any of the points that
0: you made on that pod? Well, I mean, on the fans, I mean, I'll take that one. Um, it's just, um, I mean, what, what did he expect us to do at the time? You know, we we were generally yeah. shit. So, did he expect us to cheer at every miss pa- place pass? Did he expect us to, you know, cheer when the then sco- the missed an open goal? We we were negative because we were we were pretty crap at the time and we weren't getting many results. And it's always said, yeah, your ex players when people are in positions like that when they're in relegation battles or they're playing for a playing for a high profile club. You know, the best get to those clubs and get in those positions because they've got the mentality to do it. And I don't think you'll find there's any club out there who are struggling and it'll not be a negative atmosphere. So I don't know what, what we were supposed to do.
1: I mean, there's a kind of, I thought it was a half valid point around demands over a particular style of play. Um, Some comments around, you know, how a crunching challenge you'll get he will get a bigger cheer than a beautifully threaded uh, through ball. And I think there's an element, there's a there's a kernel of truth in there. I've been I've been sat there when pe- uh, people have gone be gone mad because the ball's gone sideways or backwards. We've just watched a team get to the final of the of the Euros, prodding and probing and and recycling the ball up and down the pitch when they can't get through on one side. Do you think there's some learning that? Fans can take from what, maybe not from what Brig could have said, but from maybe what's gone on over the last month in terms of the style of play that was seen at the Euros?
2: What I would say is, is you know, we've been talking about the England final there, and in that game, every single big tackle was chaired like a goal, you know? It's mm-hmm. not a Sunderland thing. I just think English football fans. They like a big tackle, you know. I don't think yeah, it's unique I mean, to Scotland at all. I think I think it's just yeah. the f- football fans love to see big tackles. I mean, like I said, every time Declan Rice went careering through somebody in the uh, in the Euros final, Wembley went up. It was brilliant.
0: Yeah, and and he said that. I mean, don't, don't get us wrong. I mean, God, I, I remember some tackles as much as I do some goals. You know, I mean, I remember a couple from Lorik Sarner and Stan Varga and John Kane and all that sort of stuff. I remember them flying in and. And me cheering them like Gav said. Everyone does it, you know, all over the country. But I remember under Gus Poyet, especially there was there was a couple of times, you know, one against Man City, another against Man United, where we had um, periods of play where we, we strung about twenty, thirty passes together, and they almost got a standing ovation. And, yeah. You know, the fans yeah. absolutely loved it. So you know, it was only because when they tried that, probably ninety percent of the time, we ended up giving it away in our own half. Um, yeah. But when it came off, we loved it.
1: That I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? And what Sunderland fans want, we don't necessarily de- demand a particular style of play. What we need is what we ask for: is commitment. We ask for good football that produces good results, and that could, you know, there's lots of good, lots of ways to play good football. It doesn't all have to be the the most patient build-up play. You know, getting it down the channels works, and it certainly works in League One. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and I used to, yeah. used to love a diagonal under Peter Reid. Absolutely. You know, some wonderful football played by some wonderful footballers down the years at the Stadium of Light, and we've appreciated them. And I, and I do think, you know, it's bang out of order, a lot of what he said. Although, obviously, there's always going to be a kernel of truth in someone who's actually been at the club and played there. They're going to experience things that we wouldn't have. But there was a lot of sour grapes in that. But let's move on from him, shall we? Let's uh, look at, well, the other hot topic amongst fans at the minute is, is the transfer situation. We've talked about contracts. Uh, someone so far, up to the point that we're recording this, have brought in uh, Alex Pritchard, the former Norwich, um, Tottenham, and Huddersfield player, England under twenty one international. Previously, but he's twenty eight years old. He's had his injury troubles. We've had some some mixed feedback, Gav, from uh, some of the, uh, the 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 fans of other clubs who he's played yeah. for.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I think that's fair. The Huddersfield fans aren't high on him at all. I think. I think if people want to go back and check the site from last week, I did a really in-depth interview piece with uh, a Huddersfield fan and a Norwich fan and two totally different perspectives. I actually think the Huddersfield fan was very fair because some of the comments that I, I read from other Huddersfield fans on uh, social media were like, it, it sounded like they were talking about Jack Rodwell. You know That's that's how <laughs> bad some of the feedback was. and Basically, Huddersfield, the club who don't traditionally spend a lot of money Spent £11 million on the guy And he never he never amounted to anything So you can totally understand it mm. um, But at the same time And I would say this fairly I think Huddersfield have been a bit of a basket case The last, what, three, four years And sort of struggled when they dropped out of the Premier League And spent a lot of money when they were up there So, you know, I, I, I wouldn't put all the blame squarely on him And that, that was the feedback that we got in that piece You know, that, alright, he'd, he'd been... Paid, you know, they paid a lot of money for him, and he struggled to stay fit. That was his main problem. It wasn't because he was a bad player; he just struggled to stay fit. And from Sunderland's perspective, really, you've got to look at it and think, well, alright, he's had one bad move in his career, but prior to that, Norwich fans loved him, absolutely Mm. adored him. Brentford fans adored him, like you know, brilliant player for them. Um, Big prospect when he was even younger. Again at, at Spurs, where he was linked with the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona. You know, he's obviously got talent. And I think the fact that three years ago a Premier League club paid eleven million pounds for him tells you there's something there. And on a mm. free transfer it's maybe a risk worth taking. The the club have probably looked at it and said, well, he's gonna take up a big chunk of our wage budget and there's that massive sort of thing hanging over where he, he he struggled to stay fit at other clubs and actually get into any sort of rhythm and form. But on the at the same time you get him playing like he was at Brentford and like he was at Norwich. You've got a top-end championship playmaker, but in League One. And what a difference that would make to this team, because we haven't... I I was actually thinking about this. I don't think we've had a proper number 10 since we had Stefan Sessignon, probably. I can't remember one. You know, It's been a long time since we've had one or played with a proper number 10. And actually, I think it's a big indicator as to how Lee Johnson's going to play next season, because... Uh, there's no secret that that Pritchard had championship offers. I think Preston were were there with a with an offer. Preston are a decent championship team, um, mm-hmm. but maybe don't give the same guarantees to a player on playing style as we maybe could. So we've probably turned around and said we're going to play through you. You're going to be number ten behind the striker. We want to play with the ball on the floor. We want you know we want through balls. We want to good wing play, intricate passing around the box. And we need you. We need you is the the fulcrum of that. And I think that's probably how we've managed to get him because he could have played the league above and he hasn't. He's dropped down to play for a team where they're actually going to play it with strength and he can probably rebuild his career. So I I think you've sort of got to block out the noise from Huddersfield and try and focus on the fact that, you know, all right, he's had a bad spell, but he could be a very, very, very good player for us if we get everything right, you know, keep him fit keep them going mentally Lee Johnson manages them properly I think we could have a really good player on our hands and that's a risk worth taking
1: If if we are going to change our style of play and play that you know that kinds of formations that require that kind of number 20, 10 between the lines Chris what else are we going to be in the market for obviously there's a lot of people who are very frustrated at the lack of movement, and we might come on to that in a bit, but what do you think we need? And I'll come to you, well, I mean, Gav, you can come in on this as well because I know you put some out on socials today with a bit of a kind of alternative starting eleven or two two alternative starting elevens But Chris, what do you think we need around that number 10?
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think, like Gav says, we haven't brought Pritchard in, like Gav said again, he alluded to, we, we haven't gone to the lengths of Talking Alex Pritchard into signing for the club over the likes of Preston, over the likes of whatever other championship clubs or whatever other options he had on on the table, and told him, you know, this is the club for him. If we were going to get it wide and get it into the box for a big man, that's not going to be the plan. I mean, it might be in our armory with with Stewart to to do that, but we, we clearly haven't brought Pritchard in to play the same way as we did last season. And I mean, we've got a, we've got a few players who can who can maybe play in that role. You know, I mean. I think Embleton played an attacking role for for Blackpool last year. I mean, Gooch likes to play central although I think most people will agree his his best kind of position is out out wide, whether as a as a wing back or as a midfielder. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in terms of what we need, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, where do you start? You know, like I said earlier, at the back, we need two right backs. Or Nines clearly signed on his contract, not as a I'll play anywhere. Um, Lee Johnson's obviously sat down with him and said. We're going to develop you. You're a good player. You've got a good touch. This is how you're going to play. And he he's going to be he's going to be a fixture in that midfield, and he's going to be a workhorse up and down box to box. I think he's not going to be a full-back. He's not going to be a centre off. Although actually saying that at the minute it might be uh, it might be telling whether we do move him to centre off as we're running out of players in in pre season. But I think that'll tell you everything that he's probably played in midfield. But uh, but yeah, when he when he backs need a, a centre off need a need a left back. You know whether Hume signs on um I mean all over the pitch really but uh what will be interesting is I think that a number of them will probably come in loan moves I think we saw the success of Sanderson last year and I think that with Speakman's knowledge of of kind of the youth setups and the academies across the country I think we'll be identifying a few players who can come here for the year do what Sanderson did and play at a much higher level and uh and and be fixtures in the first team. I don't think gone are the days I hope of, you know, the the um can't remember the guy's first name but uh was it Sterling who's who was uh, what was his name who signed from Tottenham? Because Sterling? Yeah, that's it. I don't think we're going to be signing players to sit on the bench if they come on loan. I think they're going to be high quality loan signings. So so yeah, it's going to be interesting.
2: I've got no intu- I've got no issue with that by the way. I think I think that's a good thing. Like other teams seem to do a better job than Sunderland of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. last year we brought in a lot of crap filler, like Danny Graham, Remy Matthews, you know, yeah. McFadden. And and I sort of wonder, had we just been a bit more imaginative and let, um, you know, sp- speak to clubs like Man City, Man United, Liverpool, Chelsea, these, these clubs who've got like an array of talented kids and brought in the best of them who are re- ready to be playing first-team football at this level... Might we have got promoted, you know? I mean, I know Lincoln didn't get promoted, but Lincoln's star player last year was a lone E from Forrest, wasn't he? Yeah. Brennan Johnson, yeah. he's like... Well, well, that's it. Would, would it, we ever we sign a player like that?
0: Well, that's it. It doesn't have to be from the Man City's Liverpool's of the world. Deion Sanderson was one of the best players in the league from Wolves.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: So, I mean, if you'd, if you'd stuck three or four Deion Sanderson's in our team last season, that's automatic promotion.
2: Yeah,
1: and that, if we'd that, had that's, one Dion Sanderson and our team <laughs> towards the end of the season, we might have had all that yeah, promotion. That's
0: true. That's true.
2: But it's 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 true. Like I think sometimes a good young loan, especially when you're a League One team, is better than a journeyman free agent. And I know you touched on what I'd been saying on social media, Rich before. But this has been the crux of my argument when people are complaining about the length of time it's taken for us to sign players. Is that well? Look at look at who's actually moving around. I, I mean, they're not they're not world beaters, are other the the players that are signing for the likes at Ipswich and Wigan and whoever else. There's no real upside with them. I mean, we've been there before. We've done this before with players where we've brought them in, you know, and and they haven't been able to make an impact because they're not the right player. And What we've been sold with this new era is Sunderland are going to recruit a certain type of player, whether that be you know a young hopeful from a Premier League club or our own young talented player from maybe uh, down the leagues or abroad or whatever. And I think people just got to be patient and let that play out. I think, I think people read too much into like, I think Johnson probably didn't help himself by coming out and saying that the market was stagnant without getting into any sort of real detail, because to some degree it is stagnant. Like players aren't moving for big money and there is a filter down effect from the Premier League where, I don't know, let's just take Sanderson, for example, until Wolves, I don't even know if this is the case, but until Wolves sign the centre-half, are they going to be willing to let him go? And that's, that's just it. one example of like many.
0: He, he was talking, but he was talking about that. He wasn't talking about the market as a as a whole. He was talking about the market that we're trying to do, I was dealing in, it, you know, the likes of Joe Piggott and all that sort of stuff. For me, he, he's another one of those... Journeyman who's had a decent season, and everyone thinks he's you know a world beater, and he's not. Yeah. But you know, like you said, if if the market starts moving at the top end, where these young young players have got someone else ahead of them, like you said, like the Sandersons of the world, that that's hopefully who we're going to be making our moves for. So, like I said, in the market that that Lee Johnson's looking at, that that it probably is stagnant because the top clubs aren't aren't kind of are busy in the in the market yet. But
2: it's not it's not it's not popular to say that though, is it? It isn't popular to say that, you know, you it oh load of shite. Sunderland, you know, they're not they're not doing anything. What they're doing? Why aren't we signed Piggott? I think well because we didn't we don't want we don't want Joe Piggott like just because some some clickbait website put an article out three weeks ago saying Sunderland want him, and because nobody's turned around and said hang on that we don't actually want him, then it's just been a lot of stew. And when people say go to Ipswich straight away, they're like, well, why 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 have Sunderland not signed him? probably because we didn't want him, like, you know, look at it, we've got Ross Stewart, who, people, some people might not be convinced by him, but, I mean, they like him enough to have spent 350 grand on him, so, they haven't signed him for him not to play, Charlie White's mm. gone now, forget about Charlie White, like, we've got Ross Stewart, clearly, they think quite highly of him, or they wouldn't have paid good money for him, and then behind him, you've got, alright, well, Greg, people, and I'm I'm one of his biggest critics, but... Part of me thinks if we're if we're signing a number ten and we're bringing Embleton in the fold, does Johnson fancy himself maybe getting something out of Greg and at least wait until the end of August before making a decision on him? And if that's the case, then will we even try and sign a striker before the end of the transfer window? Will it be a case of say how pre-season goes? With will will Greg see how the start of season goes? Things aren't working out. Yep, let them go. Bring someone different in. You know, these are there's so many variables across the board, and um, that's just. One position where I think, you know, they're, they're maybe going to take a time a little bit on it and we've just got to get used to that idea that the maybe the more talented players sort of leave towards the end of the window and not at the start of it.
0: You could argue at the same time, I mean, just playing devil's advocate, you could argue that you could say, you know, the, the argument that are these just excuses? Well, we're still speculating, we're, we're, we're seeing what we're hoping the club are thinking, but the, the proof will be where we are before the, the Wigan game whatever squad he's got that'll be the proof we're we're speculating people are saying well that you know that's just excuses just have to hope that the next 3 weeks are going to be as busy as we, as we think they are
1: i think there's a there's a a lack of trust around the club which is a hangover from what's what we've been through for the last 10 11 years and it's entirely understandable and you know and even you know just the the mere fact of um Donald and Metfan's lawyer being on the board and them still having a shareholding is enough and kind of really understandably is enough to make people not trust a word that comes out of the club. But that said, it is the case that KLD is in charge of the club. It is the case that Christian Speakman and the recruitment team are the people who are who are leading this this recruitment drive over the summer. And, you know, they've got a job to do to rebuild the trust over this summer, over the next year. But in order to do that, we've got to give them the opportunity to do that. You know, in twenty seventeen, I don't know who would have turned around and said England are gonna be in the in the final of the Euros and get the World Cup semi-final the next year. Because things hadn't had enough time to to develop in that in that way and, and Southgate and and his team hadn't had enough time to to implement their plans and, and yeah so that building of trust and that and that kind of you know, you can only ask for patience from a fan base when when that trust's been built up. We've seen it this this summer in the in the Euros, there was trust built up from twenty eighteen that, that the manager did know what he was doing, that the setup was right. So maybe there's some lessons to be learned there. Finally, we are running out of time really quickly, but finally we've got uh three preseason games coming up. We got Heart of Midlothian up the course in Edinburgh this uh, coming weekend. Then we've got York City and Tranmere. This is after we played Spennymoor a couple of weeks ago. So, um Chris, what what's your thoughts on this pre-season programme? Are there a, a, a good set of fixtures to kind of build up the kind of you know, understanding that you're going to need to compete in League One from
0: the start? Yeah, well, I... I... I mean, I was looking at this one on Saturday. Um, and it's quite interesting the timing of this one because um we're still kind of struggling to 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 see what our um, strategy is and what our formation is going to be next season, what Lee Johnson's going to go with. But this one's going to be tough because um Hearts have already started their their campaign. Really, they've they've kicked off with the Scottish League Cup. They beat um it was a Cove somebody they beat the other night. Or Bramblers, is it? Yeah, the people you know, that's well, Ireland, isn't it? Cove, Cove Rangers. Oh, no, that's yeah,
1: that's in Cove Rangers. Sorry, that's Ramblers is in Ireland.
0: Yeah, um, <laughs> on that the, the, they've actually got them this week, but uh, but yeah, the, and they kick off two weeks on Saturday against Celtic at home and uh, the SPL, so they're they're kind of way ahead in terms of their preparation compared to us. I mean, we're probably a good couple of weeks behind them at least, uh, where, where they are, so they're going to be kind of almost in game mode, you know, they're, they're not going to kind of switch it off and then switch it back on for the League Cup, they're going to look at it as a you know, this is a, you know, winding up to, to the, the game against Celtic. So it's interesting timing and where we are because it's probably, a, well, it is our first competitive game in pre season because that, that Spennymoor one was more of a training exercise with different teams in each half.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and and it's a stream. So it's going to be interesting this, to see how we line up. So uh, I think this, this first one's going to be a good one.
1: Yeah, I'd be looking mm-hmm. forward to watching that. And then we've got York City and Tranmere Gav. Interesting, National League Club York and then uh, League Two Club. So it is stepping up, isn't it? Those two games are kind of ramping ramping
2: up the intensity. Yeah, and like I said, we're round off with a championship team in Hull, so... Oh,
1: yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah, wondering.
2: yeah, yeah. So, I mean, to be honest, these games are just for fitness purposes, really. I mean, the more of them you play, the better. Get the players up to match sharpness and get them ready for the season starting, so... I mean the Spenny game was built as a tra- training game and it was really I think it was two different teams wasn't it There was a different team in the second half, um than there was in the first. Now I imagine we'll probably see more of the same, at the weekend and, I think last weekend behind closed doors we played two friendlies. I think, might be wrong. It was either I think even Gator and Carlisle. I think somebody was saying. I think it's sort of been kept quite secretive. But apparently one two nil and Gooch scored both. Might be wrong, um. But yeah, I don't think you can read too much into these friendly games. I think they're just they're there as a sort of you could be playing anybody, which is when people start to sort of worry about the opposition that we're playing and things. I think well, you know, you we could we could play like a, a League One standard team in Portugal. It makes no difference really. Yeah. Ultimately, it's just getting the legs in the minutes and getting people up to speed, and that's that's the main thing, especially when you've got like Luke O'Neill, who who's joined pre-season training later than the rest and. Pritchard's probably not been training, so that them two will be on the same page, I would imagine, in terms of where they're at. And you've also got the, the one thing we haven't really talked about is we don't have a first team right back as of recording. We don't have a first team left back. So does that then mean that we bring in the under twenty three equivalents and give them a chance? You know, more of a run up. I think I think in the in the Spennymoor game, it was a the second half was a full team of of 23s players and under eighteens, but um I think if you can get maybe like Ethan Cochosa who's just signed from Leeds involved, mm-hmm. he's a right back, you know, we don't have a we don't have a right back at the minute. Could be an opportunity for him to show show Lee Johnson what he can do, you know, and you never know. There's quite often these things happen where a young player gets a chance and they they grasp it with both hands and end up end up, you know, doing a lot better out of it and maybe even starting the season. I I don't know if that's a possibility with him, but you know, why not? I would I would love nothing more than to see like two, three, four young players sort of break through in pre-season and, and prove their worth. And I think they're not going to get a better opportunity right now because the squad's quite, you know, weak in terms of numbers.
0: Just quickly on that, I mean, you mentioned um, that, yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree, you know, usually it doesn't matter who, who who we're playing generally and it's going to be the case with this pre-season in, in a sense. But in the in the friendlies, I would like to start seeing how Johnson wants us to play. I mean, you know, our our tactics were obvious last season, and I think Johnson tried to make do with what he what he had in terms of getting it wide, getting it into the box, because those were the tools he had. But it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, this is his first summer. I want to see him putting his stamp on how we're going to play. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether it's possession based, whether it's counter, whether it's, you know, whatever it's going to be. Um I'd like to start seeing what we're going to be going into next season with in terms of style of play. Well, I think that's
1: a really apt place to leave it. Looking forward to next season, hoping that we'll get some young players breaking in during these friendlies we've got coming up. Hopefully, if you can do, listeners, you can be able to get to some of the games. Hull City at home. Won't be restrictions in England then, will there, lads? So No, no. Maybe we'll be able to pack as many in there as, as we can. I'll try and get along to... Try and get along to Tramere as well, just along the coast from here. So um, thanks a lot for your time this evening, Chris. No bother. Cheers, Rich. And it was nice to speak to you again, Gav.
2: Cheers, mate, yeah. Let's hope something just give us something to cheer about. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm
1: sure they will. Be optimistic. I know. No, it should be a good season ahead. So um, keep listening, everyone, and we'll be back with you very soon.